Jesus, Bobby's camera was so far off. I assume he was. I assume it'll be fine. I hope. It, it, Bobby's it hasn't been in a like to this point so his freaking I mean, pjs yeah i'm, you're like I'm wearing sunk. a bathrobe oh that's nice. what it is oh, should i get my bathrobe out and we'll just do this a, a, a robe pod dude i, I have to go all the way upstairs set. to get my bathrobe yeah. can i just do this whole episode as darth sidious yeah, okay uh, Brian, you can be darth maul that's fine uh, uh, i sort of look uh, like princess uh, leia right now with my uh <laughs> oh yeah thing over my headset <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Last time you had um, you had the oh, you had your headphones over your my hoodie, hood. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it's weird. People do that. People will like wear hats and then put the headphones over hats, and I'm like, eh, I can't. Sometimes do that. it makes it more comfortable in my ears mm-hmm. than the headphones being directly on my ears. My ears are very yeah, sensitive. Oh, <laughs> I'm a little sensitive boy, and I got little sensitive ears. When has sensitive ears? <laughs> Baby <laughs> talk 101. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, people have been talking about your baby talk. They need you to stop. Uh, Andy's so sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, wow, boys. I, I don't even know what we're. Ta- I don't even know what we're talking about. I know what we're talking about, but it's not my That's topic. Right, you do. It's Brent's topic. That's right. Yeah, it is yeah. Brent's topic. Normally, I name the audio file because I know what it is, but I don't. I didn't know what we were doing. I had completely forgotten. Hold on. Let me just use a a. Uh, screwdriver to itch my back for a moment oh i couldn't reach <laughs> it oh i think i just cut myself open with it nice yeah that wasn't smart got some dino damage what are we talking about today brent well boyos i guess we're in the pod right now <laughs> i don't know when the pod <laughs> starts i don't know, I don't when, know when the pod, pod starts in my life that's not my job that's I know. job. hi everybody welcome welcome to the podcast um Sorry for the uh, the uh, distraction there, but we will return to talking about our usual weekly topic of preserves and jams <laughs> of all sorts. But, you know, I actually had a, a very different idea for this week's episode, and I thought we would talk about the uh, Waco incident from 1993. No. Oh. No. I refuse to stray <laughs> away from jam. I thought this was going to be a fun... I... Waco... I yeah. love unnecessary police um, it's, it's, brutality. Yeah. I don't even know. Well, can yeah, I say measures? I don't. Yes. I. So I was going to like Google Waco and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know there's a Netflix show about it and my brother watched it and which he told I, me which to watch I watched. It. You did watch I it? I watched it as well. I ended up watching the whole thing in like the last 48 hours. Oh, nice. Well, other than um, the name, we'll I don't know yeah. anything about Waco. I know Zilch. Zip. Oh, at least yeah. squat. Okay. Fair enough. That saves me a question for later. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what about you, Jack? Um, actually, you know what? Let's introduce ourselves real quick. I we know, haven't really done yeah. that yet. I'm, I'm your Branch Davidian B, Brent. Oh. On a silver goddamn platter. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take what Jack said. And I'm I'm your uh, brutality B, Bobby. Brutal. Oh, why'd you guys? Oh, why'd you guys go so fast? Um, <laughs> I am trying. Corn tracks I am your I am your United States Justice Department, J. Oh. Jack. Okay, I like it. I like it. Justice I like is it. blind. Yeah. Justice is a bitch. Oh, <laughs> your, sen- your sentence shall be rendered. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, ju- oh, I could do Judge Dredd. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. similar. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, so yeah, so we're talking about the Waco incident and sort of like specifically the Branch Davidians is sort of their origins and like what happened with the whole Waco incident because I, I mean I was gonna ask you guys what you know, Bobby. You established you don't really know anything. What about you, Jack? What do you know about this the whole sort of Waco incident? I know that it was a cult that the police were going to raid their compound just like every cult but then i don't know how it happened but thing it got incredibly violent and was like was it, it was like a multi-day oh yeah see the most the multiest of days you might say yeah i don't know how long it was but we'll, it was we'll like get there when we get there but yeah no it, it, it was a while this was not like a quick thing this just mm-hmm. unfolded over the course of some time i always but, thought uh, that waco was because waco's in texas right yes so I always thought that Waco, I think it might have been at a university. Um, there was the, 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 the Texas shooter in the tower. You um, guys know that, was, that? That, was, that, that was Virginia Tech you're thinking of. You're thinking of Virginia Tech. That, that was like one of the first like well-publicized school shooting incidents where, yeah, uh, someone like climbed up into a tower on the campus and was like sniping people. Oof. But that, yeah. that was something different that happened um, a fair amount earlier than this. Oh, uh, I always thought that they were the same thing. It didn't because I heard one story where maybe it wasn't in. Maybe they just said that, oh, since they were in the South, that like people were just pulling over and pulling guns out of their cars and like shooting at the guy in the tower with police what oh geez i'd be very yeah. curious to look more into that whole i mean Virginia that does Tech sound like texas shooting. that might have been a different shooting in texas because i thought that that happened in texas but either way it's not related to waco no it's not but um Wait, so no, it's, it's not it's, we're it's, not talking about wilco the band yeah i'll go i'll go <laughs> no we're talking yes i'm Roger just gonna sing wilco? that song I'm going to sing that song for the next, like, 45 minutes. Buckle up. We're going on repeat. Me, 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 me. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, so, Jack, you're you're not too far off with your assessment there of the whole Waco incident. But, um, yeah, so, basically, yeah, it was a, a standoff that happened between this cult. Well, we'll get into the, the whole sort of cult definition, but this group known as the Branch Davidians and the U.S. government that ended up resulting in... Uh, about 76 people being killed. Oh. Jesus. Yeah. Um, of the Branch Davidians, including, but not including also, like, a bunch of law enforcement agents who were also killed in the process of this whole thing. But before we get into all that, let's sort of, like, circle back and sort of talk about who the Branch Davidians were before the lead-up to all this. Because... I feel like context is super important to the story. What I came to find the more research I did into this was that this whole story is kind of like a failing on like so many levels from so many parts on both sides, I would argue. Mm. Not I hate to be a both sideser on this one, but I feel like there's like problematic shit that happened all the way around this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And um I feel like it's important to kind of like give some context to all that. So first, let's just kind of talk about who the Branch Davidians were to begin with, because everyone kind of thinks of them just as being this cult, but they actually started from a more sort of traditional religious place. So the group was originally founded in uh, 1959 by this guy, Ben Roden, who was originally a part of this other church known as the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Church, which, if you've ever heard of Seventh-day Adventists, they're a pretty well-known religion at this point. 
in time. You know, it's not if you hear someone's a Seventh Day Adventist, you probably don't think of them as necessarily being a cult member. Yeah, you just think of it as like a religion. Aren't they, um, they're, they're, they're aren't they like, Doomsday more, still? Like, don't they, they like they they offshoot from like the Millerites? I don't know if you remember me talking about them in our, on our Doomsday episode. Um, uh, the, the the Millerites were um Bobby. They were the ones from the Leftovers in season uh, three. I remember. I think there was that this. first episode. Yeah, so they they sort of like originated from that movement. They like when the whole Miller and his predictions of the end of the world kept not coming true. Yeah, eventually they like left and did their own thing as Seventh Day Adventists. Oh, um, okay. so they definitely believe in revelations, but they're not necessarily like a doomsdayer per se. Like they, mm. they believe that like the biblical revelation will happen. But um, they're not necessarily more in sort of these, like, more culty type ones where, oh, okay. you know, it's all about the fact that the world's going to eventually end or whatever. Yeah. It's just they believe that the book of Revelation is, like, literal, like, that that will happen at some point. No, I think yeah. there's, like, a Seventh-day Adventist church, like, near my house. I'm pretty sure there's, yeah, there's I mean, like, like, a bunch it, of them, right? Yeah, they're, it's pretty common now. I mean, obviously, they are like a more sort of like fundamentalist type religion, so they're very conservative and stuff. Yeah. But they're generally accepted as being a um, like a, a religion. Most people don't necessarily look at them as a cult in any way. They're just yeah. viewed as a very conservative religion, you know. They're not like over the top. Yeah, so, you know, the, the Branch Davidians are actually an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventists, so mm-hmm. they're sort of like... Their roots are based in a more sort of mainstream accepted religion. Um, so it started when they actually branched off from the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist, which was established by this guy, Victor Hotef, in the 1930s. So they were sort of like Seventh-day Adventists as well. This guy, or this guy, Victor Hotef, he was a Seventh-day Adventist. He was a Bulgarian immigrant who lived in the United States. And um, he believe that you know god came to him and he wrote this uh, series of um books entitled the shepherd's rod and um in these books it, he <laughs> called for, yeah so in 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 this book it called for the uh the reform of the seventh day adventist church because he believed that um basically in something known as the davidian bloodline basically meaning that like um jesus was uh, shared a bloodline with King David from the Bible, which I, I don't know how familiar you guys are with your Bible. I'm not no, super familiar. I had to read some of this stuff. But I guess King David, I guess, is a figure from, I believe, the Old Testament. He was, you know, one of the first Jewish kings from, you know, the era of the Old Testament. And so they, he believed that that there was evidence to say that Jesus was part of this bloodline and that his books talked about that. Uh, but the Seventh Day Adventist Church did not accept his personal findings of this or whatever, and so he ended up splitting off and starting what was then became known as the Davidian Seventh Day Adventist Church. Hmm. The Davidian Seventh Day Ad- Adventist Church. Church, yeah. So that's the Seventh Day Adventist. It, yeah, they it, it's short for short we call them Davidians, basically. Because they believed in the you know, the Davidian bloodline or whatever, they should um, open so like th- a dentist happened. shop. So it's like the uh, Davidian Adventist dentists. Yeah, Dave uh, after Davidian des- dentist. I don't yeah. know. Is that something? Is that a joke? I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. Make that a joke. Brent. So in nineteen thirty. So in nineteen thirty-five. Yeah, um, and, and Brent, if could you just uh, go ahead and uh, make that a joke? That'd be great. 
now it's a joke. You did it, Brent. <laughs> now it now it's a joke. All right, so so this happened around uh, 1935, and so uh, this Victor Hotef guy took him and the people who believed in his uh, version of Seventh Day Adventism, and they moved to this settlement near Waco, Texas, hmm. where they were preparing for the Second Coming. And uh, this was in a place known as Mount Carmel. This is uh, where this particular settlement was. After establishing all this around 1942, he renamed the group the General Association of Davidian Seventh-day Adventists, or Davidians, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, Davidian, much easier to say than the other part. He made it worse somehow (laughs) with the next one. Yeah, so, and again, as I said, you know, basically they believed that in uh, King David and his uh, bloodline, all that, and that uh, Jesus, basically, this was to prove that Jesus was the uh, legitimate Hebrew Messiah. Okay. You know, all that fun stuff. So this, they moved to Waco, Texas, 1935. And 1955, uh, Hotef died. And the group segmented off into more divisions at that point. So um, this eventually, so his wife Florence took over for a little while and she was convinced of an impending apocalypse. Basically, this led to more separations. It's basically this group just kept separating <laughs> off into more and more subsects. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, this is like this is like how my um how my Boy Scout troop when I was in Boy Scout started. This all happened before I joined, but um, in our town there was one Boy Scout troop that then there was an argument amongst the leaders and that split off and then that split off and then that mm. split off and that's what my troop is now. And now there's like six troops in our town. Oh my yeah. God. It, it definitely has that feel to it. So like, so this woman Florence who was, you know, um, Victor's wife basically believed <clears throat> that there was going to be this fulfillment of Ezekiel 9, which is this um, Old Testament um, chapter from the Christian Bible that um, says that the wicked's are slain and the new king james version and that judgment on idolaters would happen to those who defiled the temple of jerusalem so basically she believed there was going to be some sort of end times event Mm. there in waco and it didn't really happen and so then um after the events didn't happen um this guy benjamin Roden, who we mentioned before who ended up being the original founder of the branch davidians sort of like rose up and there was like a sort of like an insurrection within this uh mount carmel facility and like him and his followers sort of like took over and kicked out all the um davidians and then they renamed themselves the branch davidians at this point after taking control i know this is crazy It's, it's wild yeah so so I think, you know, going into this, I kind of just assumed the Branch Davidians just started with David Koresh yeah. and all that, you know? But there's, like, a long history to this whole group uh, leading up to this point. Now, just a quick question. Yes. What, when was it when the the woman who thought that the end times were going to happen, well, when when did she predict that, that this was, that the rapture was upon us? It was gonna happen in 1959. Okay, so was, we're still was, we're still pretty early on. Yes. So yeah, I, I, I believe yeah Ben Roden took over in 1959. So like after it didn't come true, um, Ben Roden and his you know loyalists kind of like took over mm-hmm. the whole situation and then kicked out all the other people and then made it into the Branch Davidians. Okay. So so then. 
as the Branch Davidians, they kind of went on about their Branch Davidianness for <laughs> quite some time without much incident. They just kind of lived in their little commune, you know, in this little, yeah, this little like I don't know what you would call it. They're like a little fortress or whatever compound. outside of Waco. Yeah, they're compound. compound. Yeah, it kind of looks like uh, I don't know why, but it kind of reminds me of like uh, Walking Dead, kind of like safe house or something. Yeah, because it's just kind of like out in the middle of like this like very arid deserty sort of plains area it's just kind of like this big building just out in the middle of nowhere seemingly you know there's like nothing really around it right so i I totally get that vibe it just feels it feels a little post-apocalyptic and it's sort of oh uh, i I googled pictures of it yeah. see what it looked like um and every, all the pictures all the pictures are of just, what happens to it yeah, <laughs> Spoiler it's just, alert. yeah 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 so we'll, we'll get there Man. um but yeah so so ben roden takes over in 1959 and they just kind of go about their business you know practicing their faith or whatever until uh 1978 when ben roden dies and then his wife takes over lois roden Everyone's wives are taking over. Yeah, and then naturally, there's also divisions at this point between Lois Roden and um, their son George Roden, Wait. who I guess George oh. felt like he should be their leader. So there's even divisions now within the same family within the same religion. Oh boy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you know this goes on for a while, but lois remains in power until she did also eventually died and george roden then took over at that point but it was only about a year that he was in control before a little guy known as vernon howell rose to power and became the leader that the group sympathized with and he ended up taking control and uh this one vernon howell is the man we will come to know as david koresh i don't like him i already don't like him I'm looking at this little guy's face. He's a little weasel. So let's let's talk about David Koresh and his sort of rise to power within the group. Wait, why is he? Why does he have two different names? We'll get there. Because he's oh, a cult okay. leader, dude. Okay. There's a reason why he changes his name, but he, he he comes into the group as Vernon Howell. That's his given name. So Vernon okay. Howell arrived on uh, the Waco compound in 1981, as well. And was well received by nearly everyone at the Davidian commune. Howell had a, but here's where you already know this guy is, is there's something up with this dude. Howell had an affair with the then prophet of the Branch Davidians, Lois Roden, while he was in his late 20s and she was in her late 60s. So as you remember, Lois Roden was the the wife slash mother of George, uh, the wife of Ben Roden slash mother of George Roden, who took over after Ben died. So this guy, yeah. Vernon Howell, kind of strolls in and immediately starts having an affair with the leader of the religion, who happens to also be the mother <laughs> of the guy who feels like he should be in power. Ooh. So, oh. so you, and they have a 40-year age drama. difference between the two. Yeah, so immediately Some this juicy guy... juicy stuff. This guy is the original mess queen right here. Just He's a home wrecker. Into the joint. Yeah, just He's a compound causing, wrecker. He's a compound wrecker, commune wrecker. <laughs> this guy just strolls yes. in. just Yeah, so that immediately kind of set off some weird alarm bells in my head. I was like, hmm. Because, I mean, obviously, like, people knew that there was divisions already among the group between people who thought George should be in control and people who thought Lois should be in control. And this yeah. guy shows up and, like, immediately sort of inserts himself in a very sort of, like, weird way. Mm. So... So this guy's got some 
opinions of himself, I'm assuming. Yeah. So to go further, Howell, or I'm going to, from this point on, I'm just going to call him David Koresh. I'll explain why he changes his name to that later, just so that we all know who I'm talking yeah, about. Because yeah. I'm talking about okay. David Koresh. That's what we all know him as. So David Koresh wanted a child with Lois Rodin. And according to his understanding, he thought that this child would be the chosen one. Oh, um, now it's interesting. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> this this will come into play later, too. But, um, but you know, obviously they didn't end up having children because, you know, she was in her 60s. And oh, weird. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I imagine at that her late 60s at that. So I imagine at that point in her life, she was sort of past childbearing years so i don't know exactly how he expected that to happen but um so needless to say when she did eventually die um her son george uh, roden inherited the position of prophet and leader of the commune however uh george roden and david koresh began to clash immediately after this point naturally yes of course (laughs) he's like you banged you banged my mom (laughs) Yeah. So it, what? And yeah, no, it, it manifests in a very sort of ridiculous way that I thought was kind of uh, funny. Yeah. This, oh, is, uh, this is kind of manifest in like one of the rare moments of sort of levity in this whole story. Um, right. So after you know George becomes the leader of the the commune or whatever, uh, David Crush is immediately trying to vie for support and. Uh, Sorry, I got a weird notification on my phone. It <laughs> just starts buying for support. <laughs> uh, check off your dailies. Thanks, Habitica. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so he... he the uh, troll. David, yeah. David Crush starts immediately uh, trying to curry favor amongst the people within the commune, trying to splinter off people that are supportive of him. And then this sort of, like, all comes ahead um, as... Uh, you know, David starts gaining more and more support within the group, and George is starting to like lose his, you know, grapple with you know control of this group. So, yeah. in attempts to regain support, George Roden challenged David Koresh to raise the dead. What? Going as far as to exhume a corpse in order to demonstrate his spiritual supremacy. So That's basically, really they weird. had like a dead raising off. <laughs> To try to prove who's more messiah, like that's so <laughs> a dead raising off. Oh my god! Needless to say, neither of them succeeded. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> nevertheless, you don't, you I don't w- what it would have been like to have been a fly on the wall during that competition. Oh, oh my god, that would have been so funny! Like everyone who's <laughs> like everyone in the cult was just like around and the, like. Was it outside? Was it inside? Like, I, I want to say, I want. Unfortunately, there's not enough details Ugh. from what I was able to find of, like, the whole setup of this scene. I, w- I want. And I unfortunately, want the Netflix this. show really only covers sort of, like, the events, like, from, like, yeah. nine months oh, before yeah. till, you know, the immediate aftermath. So oh, they really the don't go games. into this. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I offer oh, myself man. as tribute. How crazy it would have been if one of them oh, actually man. like succeeded? Like, do you think if so, like if they like if they had, if David would have just been like, 
oh, I did it, I did it. And then the other guy would have been like, dude, I like I like resurrected him like 90% of the way there anyway. Like, listen. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I got him most of the way there. Like, exactly. I loosened the I loosened the pickle jar. You just happened to open it. Like, this doesn't mean anything. Go to, we, I gotta go dig up another dead body. And this time, you try to go first, and I'll raise it. Like. Yeah. It's I think wild. We've, we've, I think we've stumbled on a, something, though, boys. I think... We got to start a Messiah games every year and uh, we got to start searching for the Messiah, you know? Yeah, listen, listen, brother, you're speaking the truth, man. <laughs> we yeah. need to, we, this is why we need patrons because we need to yeah. save up so we can buy the American Ninja Warrior obstacle course. I mean, they're not using it right now. American <laughs> yeah, Ninja like, Messiah. Do you think the American Ninja Warrior, um, obstacle course is disassembled or do you think it's in a warehouse somewhere i mean listen at the very least we can get the beastmaster one from netflix i'm i'm sure <laughs> that, i don't that think that's going to be on this warrior i wouldn't be oh, surprised i wouldn't yeah. be surprised but yeah so uh, let's get all the laughing out of the way now before, now uh, more than ever boys we we need a messiah true I know. where's david koresh now three bruv wait <gasps> wait no, wait a it. minute <laughs> We are not a religion. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Yet. Yet. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. Okay. So, naturally, as we all know, neither of them succeeded at uh, resurrecting the dead. Damn and um, somehow, uh, someone was tipped off to the fact that they were exhuming bodies to try to do all this. So, um, oh, eventually, the, their compound was ra- raided. Yeah. So, they, they were taken to trial over all this stuff. But, um, no one went to jail because they there wasn't really enough proof, I guess, for any of it. And apparently, like, people were at the trial, like, the jurors were so taken by David Crush, some of them, like, went up and hugged him after the what? trial was over and he was acquitted. Whoa. What? So it sort of speaks to this guy's sort of yeah. charisma to yeah, some right. sense, you know? Mm. Uh, obviously, this guy ha- was able to, you know, you can see through even just, like, a little example that this guy has, like, that sort of manipulative ability to just get people to like sympathize and like want to follow him you know i was gonna say like the one thing that all these like big like religious cult leaders have in common is their sort of charisma it's it's their like confidence and their ability to like manipulate a group of people like look at charles manson and like you know robert durst like yeah you have to have that though Right. Like, in order for anyone to follow you in anything. It's the weird, perfect recipe for being a cult leader. On November 3rd of 1987, uh, David led a raid of Mount Carmel's uh, compounds with him and, like, seven of his other follow- followers with a bunch of, like, high-caliber, like, automatic weapons. Oh. And, like, a bunch of, they basically, like, <laughs> took over the compound by force by raiding it with, wow. uh, you know, machine guns and rifles and shotguns and stuff. Dude, yeah, this is literally sounds... The Walking Dead when they raid when they go to Negan's compound and they yeah. go in with all the weapons and they're like, <laughs> you, cut, no. you, you cut out, so all we heard was the <laughs> first part of that scream. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. That was the whole thing. Brent will hear it so on the recording. Funny. It was yeah. just me like <laughs> No, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, basically he and his some of his like most loyal followers sort of take over the compound by force and kick Ben Roden out. Hmm. Um, yeah, so so this is the 
like what fourth time this compound has been like taken over by force at this point seriously this is like the this is like the freaking this is like what is it israel or whatever who what do they do for palace um for the the crusades was it israel they were trying to get back yeah it was jerusalem specifically jerusalem yeah 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 Yeah. which is uh technically located in modern day israel but um yes jerusalem the city is the one where the uh, historical uh crusades kept happening um this is like the yeah this is the crusades man yeah so yep so at this point you know david koresh who at the point was still known as vernon howell decided to change his name to david koresh oh excuse me oh it's not all right uh, the burping so uh, so vernon howell at this point changed his name to david koresh naming himself after king david and um cyrus the great who was um this uh he was, I believe, the first emperor of one of the first Persian empires, which I guess was of some significance in the uh, Old Testament Bible. And uh, I guess oh, Koresh, nice. Koresh is uh, the Hebrew version of the name Cyrus. So oh, that's how we get sense. the name David Koresh, is from the combination of those two things. Nice. So as leader of the uh, Branch Davidians, uh, David Koresh, his sort of big thing was... Again, as a lot of these sort of like cult groups sort of come to uh, do, especially the ones that are based in sort of Christian faith, he was really into Revelations, the book of Revelations and the apocalypse and all that. And so in particular, um, in interpreting uh, Revelations 5-2, Koresh identified himself as the lamb mentioned in Revelations. So... If you know anything about Revelations, the whole thing is that, you know, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are going to ride in and then eventually the Lamb of God, who most people believe to be Jesus, would um, be reborn and then sort of like bring about God's kingdom and sort of win the day and bring all the believers into God's kingdom. Nice. Awesome, cool stuff. So Koresh naturally identified himself as being the Lamb mentioned within revelations of course now does that mean that he thinks he's the reincarnation of jesus or is he always been the lamb now see his interpretation of it is different like um most of the media um portrayals at the time said that like he thought of himself as being jesus but this is like actually not true he believed that the lamb uh within the bible was actually referring to um, just a messiah in general, which just means an anointed mm-hmm. one who like leads the way to God or whatever. So he believed himself to be the person who was going to sort of like pave the path for Jesus's second coming. So he didn't gotcha. believe himself to be Jesus. He just believed himself to be sort of a po- picked by God to sort of like l- lead the way for um, Jesus's return and all that. Okay, Specifically, so he wasn't saying that he was a messiah well he was he just wasn't saying he was jesus he just believed that gotcha. the word messiah refers, refers to anyone who is sort of like who leads people towards god or shows oh, them okay. the light or whatever so he didn't believe himself necessarily like you know god's child or anything like that he just believed yeah. that like it was god picked him to sort of like to do you. this thing to like lead the way so that jesus could return or whatever Makes so i sense. wonder if that's why he thought that his son was going to be the chosen one right yeah paving so the way that, for his son yeah yeah so it, at later um once he started taking control he believed that um 
he actually started sort of um believing that he needed to have a bunch of children because he thought that there was like some passage within Revelations that says that 24 elders would be the ones who would sit at sort of like the seven seals of like I don't know the apocalypse or whatever and sort of mm. bring about this sort of like yeah. revelation or whatever so he oh, believed no. those Do we have a state. multi-wife situation on our hands and we're gonna get there <laughs> oh, so, so we thought he needed to have 20 24 kids I don't think he quite got to the 24, but he believed that he needed to have 24 kids oh. because they were going to be those elders with from no, Revelations. Just a couple dozen. <laughs> just a couple dozen yeah. kids. So, um, yeah, so he really was really obsessed with this idea of the seven seals, which is, like, something from Revelations that, like, a lot of scholars don't really know what is meant by it. Basically, it's yeah. just said that, like, the seven seals are, like, these things that need to happen they're going to bring about the return of Jesus and the second coming and the, bring about the kingdom of God or whatever. And so, like, these seven things have to happen in order for that to occur. And so he Yeah, I've heard he about was, the seven seals before. Yeah, yeah so he I believed he... Yeah, so he believed it was his job to open um, one of these seals in particular because he believed that... Four of the seven seals had already been opened, and it was his job to open the fifth seal. This kind of takes us up through 1993, which is when the Waco siege actually happens. So, let's get there. Oh, I'm so excited. On February 27th of 1993, the Waco Waco Tribune Herald began publishing um, a series called The Sinful Messiah... Um, which uh, reported allegations that David Koresh had been physically abusive towards children within the compound and had committed statutory rape um, by taking multiple underage brides. What? What is it with these people? It's the same old story. <laughs> yeah. So the underage well, brides... when you when you need to have twenty four kids, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure he was like, oh, I need a, a bride who's young to have a lot mm-hmm. of kids. Yeah. So he, so Koresh, um did believe in polygamy specifically for himself. He basically made it so that, like, he was the only... Everyone had to uh, be chased within the compound except for him. Like, he said that, like, he had the burden of having to, like, create these children. And that, like... (laughs) It it took me a bit to realize you meant chaste as in chastity and not as in, like, run away from. (laughs) I never got there. (laughs) Thank God I have you, Jack, to make these realizations for me. Yeah, so like he like made everyone swear to celibacy except for himself because he felt like sexuality was sort of like this like burden that like made people worse, and so like he like took on the burden so that he can make these twenty four children, but if, like he wouldn't enjoy it or whatever. Yeah. So and so he also like basically made all the women within his compound his wife. There's wives, so like that's kind of that's kind of gross. So like all the women, like basically even the married ones, basically who stayed agreed to become David Koresh's wife, including a bunch of you know girls. Let's just call it like it is girls as young as uh, fourteen years old, thirteen, fourteen years yeah. old, and based on some reports that came out after the fact, I mean he was also more than likely raping girls as young as 10 years old within the compound. Are you kidding me? 
That's yeah. Some odd. some some stories from people who managed to get out who were like kids reported that like he was like sexually abusive. But then the the weird thing with this whole story is like there's so many conflicting versions of it from all different sides. From the people who managed to get out, some of them say really terrible things about what was going on in there, and the other ones still defend David Koresh and what was happening there and saying that there was nothing bad happening there at all. And yeah, so it, it's it's hard to know the full story. My personal take on it is that some of it has to be true, you know, like I mean obviously right. like with like the underage brides, we know that was true. But yeah. basically their loophole was like, well, you know, in the state of Texas at the time, I don't know if this is still true there or not, but if you're 14 years old and your parents give you permission, you can get married, right? Whoa, so I gotta look this that up. Was, that's, uh, is that, that true? That was, sort of his, that was sort of his loophole, but, like, I kind of feel like if you're the kind of person who's like, well, there's a law that says it's okay for me to, you know, have sex with 14-year-old girls, as long as their parents say it's okay, you're probably a, a, a bad person. Yeah, yeah. Because, there, like, was, um, there was a Hollywood it, producer... Who there was there was a Hollywood producer who um had who met this girl when she was um like fifteen or sixteen um like she was in a movie or a show that he was producing um and they like fell in love and got married when she was um when she was sixteen because their their parents gave her permission and were like mm. even though the dude the dude was like. 40 something um and that this i think it was like it might have been 10 20 years ago at this point but they're still like happily married and there's like no issues it's just like such a weird story yeah Yeah, that's actually very similar to like the celine dion story and her husband like he was like in his like 40s or 50s when he met her and she was like 15 and they ended up getting married i don't know exactly what age she was when they got married but that also like always like really weirded me out yeah I, I don't know, but yeah, I have so, confirmation that yep, uh, that law does exist in Texas still. Right now. Yeah. Still, if you have so your like, parents' consent at the age of fourteen, you can't get married. Yeah, so again, like that's fine, but I feel like if you're like at this point, David Crush is like in his thirties, and you know, it just I don't know if you're the kind of person that be like, well, if the law says it's okay, like. I don't know. I'm a 30-year-old guy. I, obviously, I'm already married, too, but, like, I would never, in, under any circumstances, be looking at anyone who's a teenager, like, yeah. at all. You know, that's, like, a child. So, like, if you're, like, oh, but the law says it's okay, no, nah, you're probably still just, like, a skeevy, <laughs> gross person. Like, clearly, yeah. this is, like, an antiquated law from, like, a different time, you know? Right. I don't yeah. know. So, yeah, so needless to say, this Koresh guy, you know, was taking child brides. He had multiple brides within the community, uh, the the commune. He had, I think, at this point, at least twelve or thirteen children from all these multiple brides. And so, yeah. So this uh this uh sort of news story that was running out about him sort of detailed a lot of this stuff and um all his different claims and everything. And so, yeah. And so, in addition to the allegations of sexual abuse and misconduct, Koresh and his followers were suspected of stockpiling illegal weapons. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So, so 
again, so, I mean, they... Preparing they for talk. a run-in with the government, I'm guessing? You would think so, but, I mean, this will come back to sort of, like, what David Koresh b- believed. He believed that, um, his job was to be, um, to open the fifth of the seventh seals, and he believed that that fifth seal was that, as he put it, I believe, was that, um, the kingdoms of Babylon would, like, try to spill their blood and kill them. So he basically believed that, you know, basically what ends up happening would happen, that, like, the government or, like, the uh, the powerful bodies would come to kill them. So they Mm. stockpiled a bunch of weapons for the inevitable fight with Babylon. (laughs) And so... I guess they were the, the the government believed that they were illegally stockpiling illegal le- Ill- illegal weapons. <laughs> so they believed that they were like modifying guns to be automatic, which was you know illegal, yeah, and stuff like that. So in uh, May of 1992, Chief Deputy Daniel Weinenberg of a uh, McLennan County Sheriff Department called um, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, better known as the ATF to notify them that his office had been contacted by a local UPS driver uh, who was concerned about a report... I'm sorry. uh, The USPS driver who had uh, gone to deliver a package to their commune and had broken open, and within the package were firearms, inert grenade casings, and black powder. Oh. So, so yeah, so this got the ATF's attention. How is Um, that... Lee, uh, I mean, I guess it was 92, so I guess they didn't really care. I was going to say, how is that legal grounds? Wouldn't that evidence be thrown away for a warrant? Jack, we don't yeah. remember pre-9-11 uh, life, you know? Well, here's the thing. So, so ATF sort of used this as a grounds to sort of, like, actually open a formal investigation. Oh, And so... Okay. They started launching um, surveillance of the compound, and then, so, basically, they said that they heard um, automatic gunfire coming from the compound, which they used as um, evidence to obtain a search warrant of the compound. So that's sort of, like, their way, that was, like, their way of sort of getting in after being tipped off by the UPS driver about the other stuff. Yeah. And they weren't like, uh, why were you opening packages, UPS driver? Well, the package, like, fell and broke. I assume it was, if it had guns and, if it had guns and freaking grenades, I assume it was heavy. Right, yeah. yeah. Somehow the package became broken open and the UPS driver saw what was in it. And that's what made him go to the sheriff's department. And then the sheriff's department (laughs) went to the ATF. I'm sure that it was, quote unquote, broken open and that the UPS driver actually was like, I'm going to find out what I'm delivering to this cult compound. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. He's like, what's this heavy thing that I have to de- deliver to this crazy place every yeah. single week? What's up with that? <laughs> like, yeah. So, um, so some important context here for the ATF. Um, they had um just a year prior had like a very sort of like public sort of um, events happen known as Ruby Ridge. Um, which uh, hap- this was actually gone over a bit in the TV show. So basically what had happened was, sort of in a very similar situation, um, they suspected um, this guy, I-, I won't go into full details because obviously like that could be its own podcast probably, but basically there was this guy living in sort of like a compound in Idaho, uh, this place called Ruby Ridge. They believed he had some sort of illegal weapons and like that area of northern Idaho is sort of like a... like 
um, extreme right wings or white nationalist sort of stronghold area. And so they went to server warrant to, um, you know, basically search there for weapons. And then it ends up turning into a big firefight where, you know, um, a couple agents were killed. This guy's son and his wife were killed. You know, like it was basically like it just like a big mess. And so wow. they were there's a big public outcry about it and they were being threatened to be defunded by the government. And so they were sort of like, I guess, sort of itching to sort of like rehab their image. Yeah. yeah. In some ways yeah. in the public eye. That leads us to um, February 28th of 1993. So, the ATF attempted to execute their search warrant on Sunday morning of February 28th of 1993. The local sheriff department, in audio tapes broadcast after the incident, said he was not apprised of the raid. So, like, the local sheriffs did not know that they were basically, the ATF was going to come and, like, raid oh, the yeah, compound. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, despite being informed that the Branch Davidians knew a raid was coming... The ATF commander ordered that it go ahead, even though their plan depended on reaching the compound without the Branch Davidians being armed and prepared. So. Oh, okay. It's kind of sketchy. So basically, here's what happened, and it's pretty ridiculous. So somehow, like, basically, like, the ATF, in an attempt to sort of rehab their name, sort of had, like, brought on sort of, like, a media division onto the ATF to sort of, like, film the whole thing. So they had, like, a camera crew and everything that were going in with them to sort of film the whole thing as they, like, went in on this raid. And so (laughs) on the way to trying to find this place, like, they alerted some news crews and they had, like, their one embedded camera guy. They they got lost trying to find the compound. What? And so this one, like, camera crew, like, from, like, a, a news station, like, stopped and asked a, U- a USPS driver, like a, a postal driver, um, where, how to find the compound. And so the the driver was like, why do you want to know? And the driver's like, oh, well, I hear there's going to be some big raid over there at the, the Branch Davidian Mount Carmel uh, for compound. Well, it turns mm-hmm. out that a postal worker was a Branch Davidian. <gasps> oh. And so he went, what? he drove back to the compound, told them that, like, the ATF was coming for them. And so they knew because of the fact that, like, the ATF tried to make it into this big public thing, but also were trying to, like, have the element of surprise. And so it what? got out. And the Branch Davidians were like, oh, okay, I guess the ATF is coming to raid us. But oh, then, wow, they should have brought a map. <laughs> So they had a, a um, undercover um, officer embedded with the Branch Davidians. And so, like, once the Branch Davidians found out, they, like, already knew this guy was, like, an undercover officer. And was, they were like, you can oh leave God. now. <laughs> and so this guy goes back to them and tries to, like, tell them to call it off. Like, don't do it. Like, they know you're coming. And yeah. they're like, nah, it's fine. It's going to be okay. And so... Uh, so despite you know, so despite being informed of all that, they decided to go ahead with the plan anyway. And while I thought this was like a really telling detail, um, while not standard procedure, ATF agents had their blood type written on their arms or neck after leaving the staging area before the raid because it was recommended by the military to facilitate speedy blood fran- transfusions in case of injury. Oh my god! Oh my god! 
That's like Mad Max. They found out they knew that they were coming, and so rather than calling the thing off, they start like writing their blood types on their bodies so that it's like they knew this was gonna go badly, and yet they went and did it anyway. Why? That's so dumb. This is like the most yeah. poorly executed like plan I've ever heard. After the the Branch Davidians found out, um, Koresh ordered um a bunch of um the male followers to start arming up and taking defensive positions while having the women and children take cover in their bedrooms. So and then uh, Koresh told them he would try to speak to the agents, and what happened next would depend on the agents' intentions. So basically, David Koresh like said he's like I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna talk to them and like figure out this whole thing, while all the while having like the men in the compound sort of like taking positions with their you know like automatic weapons and stuff to defend yeah. their compound. So the ATF arrived around nineteen uh, yeah nineteen forty five. <laughs> arrived <laughs> around nine forty five a.m. with a convoy of civilian civilian vehicles um containing uniformed personnel and SWAT style tactical gear so like a bunch of guys in basically like SWAT gear being like loaded up in the back of trucks were just like being driven to this place for the raid and so the the agents basically like approached the building and like David Crush was like the only person out there trying to talk to them and the agents claimed that they heard gunshots coming from the compound while the Branch Davidians said that they heard um, shots coming from the agents. And then what then took place was a you know, two and a half hour long firefight between the ATF and the Branch Davidians. So basically at wow. some point someone opened fire. We don't really know who. Some people believe that um, it was the ATF shooting the um, Branch Davidians dogs. Because I guess the Branch Davidians had a bunch of dogs, and that's sort of like procedure. There's like a dog team that kills dogs, I guess, because if they're there as like attack animals, like it's they're basically treated as weapons, so they neutralize the threat or whatever. So some oh. people believe that's what happens. They went and like shot the dogs. That's the way they portrayed it in the show. Again, it's sort of like a he said, she said. We really don't know exactly what happened. All we know is someone shot first, and then a huge firefight erupts. How dare they shoot the dogs? How dare they shoot the dogs? The dogs don't know what they're doing. Yeah. During the first shots, David Koresh was wounded and shot through the hand and stomach. And uh, within minutes of the raid, um, basically it was like all hell broke loose. And, you know, there was just firefights going on everywhere. Multiple people were killed. And uh, within, like, minutes of the firefight opening up, uh, one branch of this guy, Wayne Martin, who was... um, Actually, like, it's funny, like, you see this with a lot of cults where, like, the members are, like, you would think they're, like, oh, they're all a bunch of, like, dummies or whatever. But this guy was, like, actually, like, a Harvard, like, lawyer. Like, he, like, went to Harvard and was a lawyer and became, Mm. you know, a Branch Davidian. So he, like, within minutes of this firefight, he, like, called the local sheriff's department to be, like, we're being raided. Like, get them to stop shooting at us. Yeah. And, like, this was, like, the first point when the sheriff department actually knew anything was going on wow like they didn't even know this raid was going to happen this firefight went on for a while like i said about two hours or so and in total um four atf agents were killed along with 16 others being injured and as along with um four branch davidians being killed and multiple others being 
or five Branch Davidians being killed, along with multiple others being hurt in the process. So this is huge firefight that breaks mm-hmm. out and just like leaves a bunch of people dead and injured right away. So there's there's like nine people dead right now, right? Yeah, within wow. like the first like two hours of this incident. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. And one of the crazy things about all of it too is like a lot of this was all caught on camera as well. Like there's like famous footage of like, you know, the ATF like trying to like climb up on the roof because they like thought this one specific area of the house was like the gun room and they were trying to get into there and like a bunch of like agents were shot and one of them was killed like coming out, like trying to get into the window and coming out. But that room was like not a gun room at all. It was just like a bedroom. So yeah, it, it was just, the whole thing was just like a huge mess that yeah. just like quickly got out of hand. <clears throat> Eventually um, the ATF ag- agents um, established contact with Koresh and others inside the compound. And after all this took place, the FBI was brought in to take control of the matter um, because it was just, it got out of hand so fast with the ATF. So they brought in um, a couple departments, um, just like the FBI in general, and then the FBI hostage rescue team or the HRT uh, to try to, you know, negotiate the release of, you know, the people within the compound, try to get them out of there and like de-escalate the situation. Now, this brings us um, to this guy, Richard Rogers, who was the head commander of the HRT, who was also at Ruby Ridge, which we mentioned before, which was the other incident where, like, sort of, like, it got out of hand really fast and, like, a bunch of people got unnecessarily killed in sort of a standoff. So this is the same guy who ran that whole situation. He's also now here running the um, hostage rescue team for what's happening here at Waco. So, maybe not the best person to be in charge of the situation when they already have a track record of um, not handling things well. Yeah, I having... might say. Yeah, so he's he's the one brought it to try to, like, deal with this situation after it's already gotten out of hands, and, like, we have many people killed and hurt. So, at first, the Davidians um, had phone contact with local news media, and uh, David Koresh was giving, like, interviews to, like, radio stations and, like, TV networks and stuff like that. And eventually, the FBI cut off communication with them. And so this led to a 51-day um, standoff between the Branch Davidians and the FBI. What? 51 days this whole thing went down. I was not expecting that at yeah, all. It, it, th- this took a long time to unfold. I thought maybe you would say like a week Maybe even then I would have been surprised, but 51 days. Yeah. They like take breaks and like sleep and they would just come back out and. And just shoot at people. What? The thing is like most of the, the, the firefighting basically stopped after that first day. But yeah. From that point forward, it was more just, you know, they were basically under things. Yeah. Cause they were the, the branch of were basically under siege at that point. Um, they had brought in like tanks and there were constantly helicopters flying overhead and tons, like hundreds of like arms, you know, SWAT style, you know, officers yeah. and stuff there. So like they were pretty outmatched. And so at this point, the FBI basically was just trying to negotiate them leaving the compound peacefully. But mm-hmm. it gets really weird because like 
there's multiple different factions of the FBI there. So you have you have the ATF there who sort of gets sidelined after they sort of botched the whole thing to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. Because you could argue, like, the whole thing, this whole situation was probably avoidable from the get-go. Like, but, uh, it, it the, anyway. So, <laughs> so you got, like, the, the hostage um, rescue team who, like, wants to take a much more aggressive approach of, like, trying to, like, basically smoke them out, pretty much. Like, using, mm-hmm. like, psychological torture methods of, like, you know, blasting loud music and sort of, like, horrible like sounding like screeching noises and stuff at night to keep them awake blasting high powered lights at their building in the middle of the night to try to you know just like mess with their heads and stuff and yeah that sounds pretty using tanks to like run over shit like on their compound like run over cars and like doing all kinds of yeah just like you know start trying to antagonize them and then you have like you know the uh, negotiators who are trying to broker more of a peaceful solution, like who are actually on the phone with David Koresh and his followers, trying to mm. like just get them to sort of be cooperative and negotiate their release from the compound. So, like, this goes on for a while, and over the course of time, the negotiators are able to get about thirty-five people to um, leave the compound willingly. So, including a bunch of children. Um, and how many people are in the compound now? Um, it's hard to say. It, it was probably a little over a hundred people in total. Okay. Um. So they they managed to negotiate the re- release of about thirty five people, but at a certain point, Koresh won't let anyone else leave. Um, like he won't let any of his wives leave. He won't let any of his fourteen children leave. Um. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so, like, at a certain point, it kind of reaches a little bit of a stalemate until eventually they do have um, a little bit of a breakthrough where basically David Koresh um, agrees that, like, if they let him sort of, like, write his um, prophecy or whatever, like, eventually he, like, has, like, a breakthrough where he believes that um, he's gotten his message from God because initially he, he said he would, like, let everyone leave if, like, they, like, broadcast his message on, like, national television. And then they mm-hmm. did. But then, like, everyone on national te- television, like, was saying this guy was crazy and he was a quack or, like, a, just a yeah. crazy cult leader. And so when he saw that response, he, like, basically, like, called it off and, like, decided not to, like, let them leave. Like, oh, wow. Because they weren't getting his message or whatever. Like, they didn't get it. So he was, like, waiting for a sign from God at that point to, like, so he would know knew how to like spread his message in a way where they would accept it or whatever. Yeah. So right, because otherwise this whole phase five, you know, bloodshed thing is pointless if there's no <laughs> message beyond it. Right. So because this is what he wanted, right? He wanted the, there to be bloodshed because that's yeah. part of what he needed to do. But if no one knows, yeah, he's got to break the seal. Right. And so he at a certain point, I'm trying to remember exactly how it unfolds in the show, but like basically <laughs> at basically he's able like the FBI at a certain point cuts off his communication with the outside world. Like they start like cut they like cut power to their compound to try to like torture them and stuff, you know. Yeah. So like they have no like electricity or running water or anything and you know, they're they're running out of food and stuff. 
But then, like, in the show, I don't know how true this is in reality, but basically they're, like, listening to a radio, and there's this one radio station that's sort of, like, talking about their whole situation. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a, a, a TV reporter calls into the radio show. Uh, he was, like, outside the compound when yeah. all this is happening. And basically, like, they use, like, a satellite dish that they have, like, on their compound to sort of communicate to the guy who's like on the radio show like the person calling in to say that like he they hear them like they start like rotating like the satellite dish to sort of like show that like they hear them on the radio or whatever so like they're able to get a mess i have to believe this is true because they're able to get a message out to like basically get themselves a lawyer (laughs) oh wow they, they get so Coincidentally enough, the lawyer they get is this guy Dick DeGaron, who's the lawyer who represented Robert Durst in his no trial in, in Galveston, Texas. Who is what? this freaking lawyer, dude? Yeah, so <laughs> He's a legend. What I is he? Be what he? Yeah, yeah, I guess. So, like the What's lawyer, his name again? so Dick DeGaron. Is he still alive? Duh. Yeah, I think so. DeGaron. So yeah, so this guy comes in and basically negotiates with you know like the fbi to like secure you know like a peaceful release of like the branch davidians basically being like uh we're gonna let like the the texas rangers come in after you know the they surrender so that they can preserve the scene because the branch davidians were concerned that like the fbi was going to like remove any evidence that like yeah the fbi was the one that started all this and not them or the atf or whatever there were they were gonna like clean the the crime scene, if you will, to like make yeah. it seem like they were the ones who were guilty. So like they were able to sort of like get the FBI to agree that like the the uh, Texas Rangers would be the one that would like handle the crime scene as like an independent party or whatever. Yeah. And so after the FBI agrees to this, sort of like David Crusher sees this as like his sign from God that like they they can leave, but he, he says he will only leave when he's like allowed to sort of like write is sort of like prophecy or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they they agree to give him like a week or so to like write out this prophecy. So at this point, we're like 40 days into like the standoff yeah, and everything. Yeah, seriously. This is insane. It's, so <laughs> wow, he starts writing his prophecy or whatever, dictating it, and someone else is like writing it for him. And I guess at a certain point, the HRT gets impatient with it. Like after a week, the fact that he's not done it yet. So they decided to go to um, U.S. Attorney General Janet Reno to get approval for a final sort of like assault on the compound because they basically were like, we don't want to wait for him to finish writing this thing, even though like we came to agreement that if he got to write his thing, they would all leave. And like they even like negotiated with lawyers and stuff. So they're like, this is taking too long. We're just going to go ahead and raid it and like smoke so them out of tear gas. All they had to do was just wait. And instead, wait a little bit more. Broke their yeah. word, and wow, yeah, wow. You could tell they they probably have been wanting to do this for a yeah, while. Yeah, because like I said, there were there was a lot of infighting between like the hostage negotiators and then like the the that host, the hostage rescue team. Yeah. Um. So like the the way it's depicted in the show, it's like this one dude. Um. Um. I forget his name now. Ah, crap. Something... I don't remember. <laughs> Some Gary, dude from the show. 
Yeah, Gary something. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up after. But yeah, there's this guy who like is like the lead ne- the lead negotiator. Um, the true story is there was like a bunch of negotiators, but like this guy sort of like was like the sort of stand-in in the show. He was sort yeah. of the lead negotiator and like the lead from the HRT were like constantly butting heads and whatever. But also mm-hmm. like the command of the FBI like didn't like communicate between the two of them. So like they were like coordinating separately from each other. So like they had like contradicting strategies and stuff, you know. Like on the one hand, the negotiators are trying to like be sort of like gain the trust of like the branch Davidians and stuff and all that, and so that they would come out peacefully. But then like the HRT would come in and start like you know cutting off their power and blasting loud music at them at night to keep them awake and like destroying their property. You know, so like so they they would they would have so much miscommunication. Like they'd get a phone call like. No, we're we're here to help you. We want to make sure that everyone gets out okay. And then, yeah, and then like trying to exactly. Sleep, like. So all this to say that you know the the HRT got impatient and decided they were gonna kind of like go ahead and like take over control of this thing and plan a final assault on the compound. So this t- took place on April nineteenth of nineteen ninety three. Um, the stated plan called for increasing amounts of gas to be pumped over two days with increasing pressure into the compound. So basically, they would like bring in these tanks to punch holes through the walls of the compound and start pouring tear gas into the building to try to smoke them out, basically. Basically, while they were doing this, they had loudspeakers that were saying that they were not assaulting the compound and yeah. that they just wanted them to leave all the while they were so like crashing tanks through the walls and oh yeah that's flooding the building with tear gas seems a bit contradictory yeah, yeah so obviously that was very confusing and so they started doing this but by crashing their tanks into the buildings they actually like trapped a lot of people inside the building oh so shit. exact opposite of what they wanted yeah, so they like trapped a bunch of people inside the building with all this tear gas, you know, and you know people couldn't really get out because like they were basically trying to hide from the tear gas. But then like the infrastructure of the building collapsed in such a way where most of the people couldn't get out. Oh damn! And then wow. around noon, three fires started to break out simultaneously in different parts of the building and started to spread quickly because um, tear gas is highly flammable. And so some of it caught on fire and quickly the whole building started to erupt into flames with people trapped inside. Yeah, this is what the, this is what I saw the pictures of. That's yeah. If you search Waco, this is probably the um, image you're going to see the most is this compound just completely engulfed in fire. Wow. So like, eh, there's a lot of conflicting reports as to like who started the fire. (laughs) Um, yeah, all we knew is that it was always burning since the world was turning. <laughs> yes, um, friend, thank you. Uh, yeah. I knew that's why <laughs> yeah, you were giggling, sorry. so I had to go there. <laughs> sorry. This is not a laughing <laughs> I was actually thinking of, I was, I was thinking of, of when Dwight sings Ryan started the Ryan fire. started yeah, the fire. I mean, yeah. Started the fire. <laughs> so, yeah, so, like, you know, the FBI claims that, you know, the Branch Davidians started it as, like, a suicide pact. Um, although the people who managed to escape claim that that was never part of their thing was to commit suicide. So Mm. there are some people who escaped the compound 
who claims that like that was not what they were trying to do at all. People were trying to get out, but they were trapped. The Branch Davidians said that, you know, it was the FBI who started the fires by like, you know, shooting into the building with the tear gas, causing the flames to start. Mm. Hard to say. I'm personally of the leaning that, you know, you're filling a building with tear gas, you know, that's pretty flammable stuff. Like anything, I feel like it's just as likely that the fires could have started right. on an accident, yeah. you know? I mean, they had, at this yeah. point, they had no power in the building, so there was some evidence that they had, like, gas lanterns, you yeah. know, that they were using for lights, they building mm-hmm. candles. There's a lot of reasons why they could have gone up in flames that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, it was done purposely by anybody. Yeah. But the fact that you're filling a building full of tear gas and you know it's flammable because there were multiple incidents on record of tear gas catching on fire in standoffs, like, where... You know, in standoffs, they would use tear gas to try to smoke people yeah. out, and it would eventually catch on fire. Smoke them out, boys. And they also, knowing this, did not, like, inform fire departments at all to be there to try to put the fires out. So, like, they went into this situation knowing that fire was a possibility yep. and did not prepare in any way to put the fires out. So, Man. Do we have some tear gas good. now that isn't as flammable, or is it the same thing? I honestly, I don't know. I couldn't tell you, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, but needless to say, only nine people who were left in the building were able to escape. The remaining Branch Davidians, including the children, were burnt alive, by, were burnt alive, buried alive, suffocated, or shot. So um, that was, there was about 76 people in there, and um, 25 of them were children. Who died oh, that is no. as a result up. of this whole thing? It could have been yeah. avoided in so many different ways. Yeah. So Steve. Oh. So um, David Koresh included was one of the ones who died. He died of a gunshot wound, including um, his uh, sort of like this guy um, Steve Schneider, who is sort of known as his sort of right hand man. Um, he also died of a gunshot wound. So there's debate as to whether or not. It was sort of like a suicide pact situation or, you know, murder-suicide. We really Mm -hmm. don't know. Um, The way it's depicted in the show, if you're interested, is that um, Steve Schneider shoots David Koresh because he asked him to, and then he kills himself afterwards. So, Oh, shit. That's a bold uh, take. possible. (laughs) Yeah, that's a possible possibility of how that outcome was. We really have no way of truly knowing what exactly Mm. happened. Yeah. But yeah, every everyone inside died, and so oh, I'm looking at the autopsy pictures. That's sort of it's like messed up, dude. It's bad. Yeah, it's real bad. So this kind of, I guess, brings us more to the sort of the discussiony part of it. So, like I said, the show version really makes David Koresh like they really sort of make him not seem like a creep. You know, like in, in in the show version, they're like, well, you know, they had illegal weapons, but, you know, like they all they had to do was file certain permits and they would have been OK. And like technically yeah. in Texas, you're allowed to have, you know, you know, brides of 14 years or younger, but they, they don't really go into at all like the accusations of abuse by David Koresh, you know, like sexual and physical abuse. I read into stories that, like, David Crush used to carry around, like, a boat paddle in the compound that he would use to, like, 
you know, do corporal punish- punishment to people. Oh. And that he would, like, hold, like, these, like, 14-hour-long sermons at times and, like, demanded that people... And obviously with, you know, him saying that he was, you know, this messiah or whatever and, like, everyone had to, like, give their wives to him. Like, there's, like, a lot of really yeah, sketchy, weird stuff. Yeah, it's not the best. And, like, you know, like, the story we talked about before where, like, he raided this place with, like, assault weapons to take it over. Like, I don't think this guy was a good guy. And the show really sort of, like, tried, in my opinion, to make it seem like, yeah, this guy was a weirdo and thought he was a prophet, but he wasn't that bad of a guy. Like, that was sort of, like, no, the take he's away almost, the show he's version. He's almost just as much to blame for this whole thing as the ATF, like, like... It's tricky. It's, it's Even if he tricky. wasn't to blame for what ended up happening, like, the mm-hmm. things that he did regardless were just... Mm-hmm. Um, were just terrible. And he put, he put these people in this position, this awkward position, you know? Right. And then, yeah, like, he obviously had, like, a certain level of control over these people, which is why they didn't leave, you know, because there were opportunities for them to leave, and he was able to convince them to stay, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot of Jonestown. Yeah. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, definitely. Except, I mean, without, you know, them, you know, murdering their own members or whatever you know it was sort of right like yeah murder by like government standoff but the thing is like the yeah. government as much as this guy was a bad dude based on like what evidence they had there was no reason that this thing had to go down like the way it did no you know because like yeah david crush was a bad guy and would they have gone to worse things hard to say you know because like their whole thing was that they were going to be attacked by Babylon, right Right. Yeah. So whether or not they would have acted out violently themselves to like bring that upon, it's hard to say. I don't know. We really, we really can't say for it sure. It is hard to say. I honestly feel like he. I I feel like if the ATF or the FBI wasn't violent, like wasn't violent right out from the start, yeah, that he would have just. Yeah. yeah, I feel like he would have just started firing on them. Any like, I I personally don't see him because he like if he hadn't preached that there's gonna be this great violence that's gonna usher in the kingdom of god then i would Mm -hmm. be like oh maybe there may like maybe you know they shouldn't have done that but like it really seems to me like he was going that he wanted violence either way the david did um it makes me wonder if he like purposely knew like where things were going and and kind of like was reading the room and when when he said like oh we agree that if you let me write this like this sort of prophecy or whatever mm-hmm. like you know my final statement mm-hmm. then we'll we'll be able to walk free it makes me wonder if he purposely didn't write it and knew that they were going to be the aggressors if he just kind of held off right and so even if they didn't do anything, he probably still, you know, I'm not, I don't want to assume, but he could have yeah. waited even longer. Like, obviously, there's no way to know because you yeah, can't it's rewrite tough. history. Like but. I said, the show portrays it like he was writing it and that he, like, refused to, like, release any of the pages of it until it was done because, I don't know, he felt like the first time he put a message out there, like, the world, like, rejected it as being crazy. 
And so he's like, I can't release anything until it's perfect. And the reason why we do know some of this stuff, or at least this version of it, is like the show was actually based on two books. One was the guy, Gary Nesner was the name of the guy. I just remember it. Gary mm-hmm. Nesner, oh, okay. was, he was the lead FBI uh, negotiator who was like, you know, trying to, he's portrayed by Michael Shannon in the show. Um, He was trying to like broker a peaceful solution. And obviously they ended up going with a non-peaceful solution at the yeah. end of all this. Um, But the show is sort of based on like a book he wrote. And then also this, a book by this guy, um, David Thibodeau, who was one of the members mm-hmm. of the Branch Davidians who managed to escape Um, in the final raid. He basically like, was able to get out from in the show he like jumps through a window but like i think in reality like yeah it was like very dramatic but like i think in the reality like he just like escaped through like a broken down wall from like one of the tanks um yeah but um you'll, you'll break with, your legs if you jump but the, but the thing with david Thibodeau is like to this day he's still sort of like is like sort of supportive of david koresh and like refutes a lot of the claims about him as being abusive and stuff so, like, in the show, like, they portrayed it, like, you know, like, a bunch of kids who weren't David Koresh's kids were, like, released in the hostage negotiation. Um, right. And, mm-hmm. like, there's a scene where, like, Michael Shannon's character and this other negotiator are sort of, like, there with the kids, and they're just, like, playing in, like, a playground or something. And they're like, these do not look like abused kids. You've We've seen abused mm-hmm. kids. These are not abused kids, you know? But That's so weird. But then, like, there's been stories, like, from one of the peop- one of the kids who was, you know, released, you know, from the compound before everything, you know, went to shit, um, who claimed she was, like, 10 years old at the time and was claiming that, you know, she was being raped by David Koresh. So, like, mm. there's a lot of conflicting stuff there. So, yeah. again, this all goes back, you know, this guy is, in my mind, I think he was definitely a bad guy and probably deserved some looking into and probably should have been prosecuted in some way but again it just comes back to like the handling of the situation being botched on so many levels like i just keep coming back to that whole atf situation where it's like they knew that they knew they were coming yeah and they knew that they needed surprise to be able to serve their warrants or else there was a possibility that the branch davidians were going to arm up (laughs) yeah for preparation for an armed conflict so it's like why? Why would why you, would do you that? go through with it? Why would you just go through with it? Yeah, and then, it's and so then, like, uh, it's so senseless because, like, well, maybe he the, just was like, it's now or never, and was so desperate to, I mean, to, yeah. to re, like, to get their image back. Like, I think because they were in their mind, like, going into it, they probably were like, this cannot turn violent, so mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if they know when we're coming. Maybe yeah. maybe that's giving him too much credit. Obviously, there's no way. He to was know. blood. I think he was bloodthirsty. I think he wanted he wanted war. You know, like the the guy in charge um, of the ATF when when they went in and they decided to I do mean, that. Yeah, they definitely wanted to rehab their image. There's no doubt about that. Like they were like be, they were being threatened to be defunded at that point. So like they they right. needed yeah. a win. So like I can see like the desperation of like no we need to get there and be like the heroes. Did they get defunded after that, or does is the ATF still? Yeah, around? do they consider do they consider this a win? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's hard this was to say. not a win in my book. Um, yeah, I, most people look at this as definitely like a fail. But the thing was in the aftermath of it, you know, like pretty much all the blame was assigned to the Branch Davidians. Like they said, like 
they fired on the ATF, so the ATF was justified in their reaction to it, you know, and that, you know, um, there was, they believed that, um, the Branch Davidians committed, they said that the Branch Davidians committed mass suicide with the fire, though, Mm. you know, people who survived it, who were within the compound, said that that was not what was happening, so it, it's all feels so, like there's a little bit of a conspiracy going on. Yeah, I yeah, mean, something. Gary Gary Nesner himself like has come out and said that he felt like it was mismanaged. That's why he sort of like wrote the book. He was like, I felt like that the handling of the situation was really terrible, and that there a lot of the fault yeah. falls on the ATF and the FBI for what happened, like it ending the way it did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Though, I. I wouldn't. It's hard for me to say. I would recommend the show version because while there's good performances and everything, they really do sort of like. I feel like, you know, it's portrays David Koresh way too sympathetically in my mind. Like, yeah, I feel it like it sounds go, like it, and I feel like they kind of like hand wave away like all, like anything about like what they were doing as being bad or i really want to say david crush i feel really bad for the people who died in there because like yeah i don't know if like, these people, that sucks i mean like i i feel like you know when you have this kind of like cult leader type personality that these people were in my mind are largely sort of like brainwashed you know at this point right. or yeah. you know they were so swept up in like whatever this was that they thought, you know, they these being believers and like revelations or whatever that they just were led astray by this, you know, mm. charismatic manipulator. And I don't know, maybe he, this guy, believed his own delusion about him, of what this bringing about of you know revelation. I don't know, but mm. you know, seventy six people did not need to die there, and yeah. I feel really bad about that. That that was kind of like the strongest takeaway I had from the show was just how tragic it was like their portrayal of like that like final sequence of like the burning built the building burning down and them all being stuck inside like women and children and just people who are like trying to escape but couldn't because of like the way they tried to get them out of there was by crushing the building with tanks and filling it with tear gas that caught on fire you know like it was just like that did not need to happen and that's like that's really like the worst tragedy of the whole thing is just yeah how unnecessary all that was you know yeah seriously well again it makes you think of like like jim jones and and how this what can seem like a very normal situation where like you know you have people who are maybe like lost just looking Mm -hmm. for some comfort and like Mm -hmm. something to believe in yeah and it just like slowly escalates to the point where you like they they're wrapped into this thing they don't even know about how big it is yeah and then the common theme that we've seen with a lot of these is it just ends in a bang, like this crazy peak, you know, yeah. that it just escalates so quickly. And then, um, yeah, it's, it just becomes this story that's told forever. Yeah. And what's funny is it, it almost seems like in every case, the whole purpose of whatever this big disaster is, is to spread a message. Mm-hmm. But, Almost every time the message is like, these people are horrible. 
<laughs> you yeah. know, it's, so it's it's the pointless. funny. It's the funny thing though with this one, this is I'd say one of the rare exceptions in some ways because this Waco incident is largely looked at as like a huge failing on you know the FBI, the ATF, like the American government in general, and so like a right. lot of people, especially sort of like I would say more conservative leaning people tend to point to this incident as like, see, this is the government gone awry. And so, i.e., that just means, you know, like dismantle government control of everything, you know? Right. And it's kind of hard to argue in a circumstance like this with the way this turned out. Like, you can totally see, like, why people would feel that way. Because, like, yeah, basically, like, military force was used on a bunch of people, you know? Yeah. And... While well, I don't necessarily think that should mean that, like, the government in general is, like, bad and you should, you know, all we should all start compounds and militarize ourselves to, like, prepare for, like, <laughs> conflicts with the government or whatever. But it's just, like, it adds mm-hmm. fuel to some of that fire, which is kind of a frustrating thing, too, you know? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Well, it's part—I feel like it's, 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 it's fairly nuanced because it's, like, well, every single— you know, member of those organizations or even the like, like everybody didn't have a say, like, is this a failure of the system or is this a failure of people who poor decisions of people who, who are part of the system? Right. You know what I mean? Like, like where is the actual fault of the decision of the poor decision making? Right. That's a good point. No, that, I, yeah, I, 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 mean, I like clearly that point we've a seen there were just, there could have been it could have been avoidable, like very, very avoidable. And it's just like the people that were in charge made some pretty bad choices. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. And like, so, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I just it, don't it, even know what the answer to that even is. I don't all. I don't either. It I think ultimately this was just like a big I just feel like everyone in this situation who who you know failed. It's just a on big so unfortunate levels. thing that happened. The government failed, the FBI failed, the ATF failed. David Koresh was a bad guy doing bad things. Yeah. And it all just converged into this, like, perfect storm of horrible things coming yeah. together. And so, while I don't, you know, necessarily feel any sympathy for David Koresh himself and his ultimate fate, I do feel a lot of sympathy for his yeah. followers who, you know... Yeah, for sure. ...were led astray into a really horrible situation, so... Yeah, yeah, so that's basically the story of uh, Waco and the Branch well, Davidians. That sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that to be such a wild ride. It was. It, it's I, like, know, I, I don't know how long we've been recording, but like, it feels like we've been recording for ten minutes. That was so interesting. I haven't yeah. like, and I kept skipping over some of the more like m- more specific details at certain points because like, there's like a lot of stuff to read into here, like about like. Uh, sort of like what happened over the course of the 51 days like the back and forth and everything and Mm -hmm. the negotiations and all that but i just feel like at a certain point i was like broad strokes this is what happened and it's 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 pretty big yikes and i mean it even like it had a legacy that's lived beyond it like the oklahoma city bombing specifically was uh timothy mcveigh cited uh waco as like his primary inspiration for doing the oklahoma city bombing wow basically as like revenge against the government you know for what happened there so like it's this is sort of event has come sort of like a calling card for more like extreme uh right-wing viewpoints towards the government so like 
Yeah. It's bad. It's just bad. Everything around this thing as a result of the thing is real bad. So, and then, yeah. So the show itself, like, I, that wasn't really a big part of my research. I just was curious about, like, how they represented things. I would say you could probably skip it. Um, Like, there are good performances and stuff. I just... Again, like, I felt like they really sugarcoated all, like, the really dark stuff with David Crush. Like, they didn't really mention it at all, like, some of the more weird stuff. And they, again, sort of, like, hand wave away sort of, like, the child bride stuff by being like, oh, well, you know, but in Texas, the law says you can marry as long as you have the parents' permission. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, right. that still kind of misses the point of, like, a, like, 30-something-year-old dude, like, taking child brides taking child because like he basically like made them his wives so that he could like right. make 24 children who would be the elders at the apocalypse so it's like yeah what, what's not what's not like mischaracterized what this is like this is yeah. fucked <laughs> yeah. up what this guy's it's doing like human breeding like even if the law weird. says it's even if the law says it's okay it's not just from a moral standpoint, it's not okay, you know? No, and I didn't see the show, but it seems like they should have shed more light on, like, that and yeah. just to give the full story. Yeah, so yeah. so I think something... I think the reality of what happened or what was really going on with the Branch Davidians is somewhere... Probably something in between the show and, like, my research, you know? Maybe, yeah. you know, they weren't, like a, like, a suicide cult like they're portrayed by the FBI and stuff, but they're also not mm. like this. There is dark stuff going on there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so Woo! thanks for listening. I hope that was enjoyable you, for you guys you. who will like listen to that. <laughs> it was definitely, wow. at the very least, it was interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I would at least say be interesting. it was fun. It was interesting, for well, sure. we started the first half fun, and then we got into the darker stuff. But Yeah, those I tend to be my kind of uh, episodes, I guess. Let's start, yeah. let's start a little fun, and then I'm going to make you sad for an hour and a half. Um, to end on something a little more lighthearted, uh, yeah. Bobby, did they did they ever um, catch that monkey in your town? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah there, so there's a monkey loose in my town. Um, I don't think they've caught it yet. It's <laughs> very strange. Basically, there's one picture going around, like, everywhere. I don't know if you saw it, Jack. No, I haven't. It's like... It looks like Bigfoot, Here, like Google in the woods. It. <laughs> like it's all it's grainy really and shit. Funny. Yeah, it's like kind of like motion blur. Oh um, my god. It's hard to see, but we don't know much about it other than that like there's been like eyewitnesses all over town that there's like oh, a monkey. Yeah, it's like it's it around. is it is like a Bigfoot. Like you can't even tell. Like it's it is yeah. the Bigfoot picture. Wow. I'll show you Brent later, but yeah, basically yeah, the theory that's the running theory in my family is that someone illegally owned a monkey mm. and it got out and they don't want to own up King to situation it. here. Yeah, Do exactly. not touch the monkey. That's what <laughs> yeah, everything it reminds says. Me of Outbreak. That movie Outbreak with uh, Martin yeah. Freeman mm-hmm. where the monkey gets loose and causes like. Oh, pandemic. yeah. Oh, God. That's the last so, thing we're reading tonight right now is some monkey. Pain. I know. I know monkey right? virus. God. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, everyone, the police are like, don't touch the monkey. Just tell us and we'll come get it. Don't feed the monkey. <laughs> That's wicked funny. It's the most bizarre. This whole year has been a weird fever dream. I can't even. It's just so strange. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all those memes going around of like my plans and then 2020. I mean, like they're all just like, yeah, that's yeah, just that's 2020. My favorite is the Frieza, the Frieza meme. That's like, um, 
if 2020 was a person and it's just yeah. Frieza and it says, this isn't even my final form. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since we uh, have a, had a Dragon Ball reference. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's not, I've been watching a lot of uh, Avatar and Community, so oh know, yeah, I only reference things I'm in the middle of watching. I yeah, I watched yeah. I watched Avatar a little bit, yeah, so a little bit ago before before it came to <laughs> Netflix because I own. I think I've said this before on the pod, but I own it, so I was like, I need to watch it before it comes to Netflix to get my value from it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Brent, Next. Halloween yeah. idea for you this year. Mm-hmm. Evil Brent. Okay? <laughs> you, you shave your, your sideburns, you get a goatee. Yep. And then that's it. You're that's evil it? Brent. What? What does yeah. this have to do with it's anything? Do I have to, yeah, do I have to oh, do oh. grow the goatee, or can I do, like, the paper cutout version like Abed has at the end of well, that Well, you episode? already have the goatee. Paper cutout and until it grows in. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, you can be Starburns. I'll grow the goatee. Starburns, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I love that there's a character uh, on the show that just says stars for sideburns called Starburns. <laughs> just Jack, you should watch it. It's so good. It's so I'll, good. Um, I'll oh, think about man, it. I love it. I'm too big. I have so I many things on my watch list. Mm. I know, I know. It's it's tough. It's a fun um, ride. Oh, speaking of watch lists and lists... Yes, we have a list of episode ideas, and it's pretty long. But we would love some more episode ideas, so make oh, nice. sure to email us. <laughs> yeah, I don't know; it was pretty bad. But email us at brainboggledpodcast at gmail to give us some episode ideas. Because yeah, I'm looking for some some new episode ideas myself. Um, you know what? If you don't want to email us because that's too much work, uh, shoot us a DM on our Instagram at brainboggled. Yeah, on insta yeah. or dm us on twitter at brain boggled pod um we also have a website brain podcast.com are we podcast.com yeah. Yeah. yes we are yeah and then um if Brainboggle.com you was taken if you like what we uh if you like what you heard here today and want more we have um over 50 other episodes that you can listen to on spotify or stitcher or wherever you find your podcast Hell yeah. um True. but we have a bunch of exclusives on our patreon where for as little as one dollar a month you can gain access to all of our exclusive takes it's 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 our stuff where it's stuff that we want to talk about but that doesn't really fit into um our main format right now it's mainly movies and stuff we're gonna have a new yeah. one on inception coming out um sometime this very month. soon we're recording it yeah we're recording it like this week sometimes yeah so, so it be should be very soon it should be out soon um so check that stuff out um yeah so uh thanks guys thanks for listening thanks for sticking with us thanks if you're a patreon big thank you for supporting us it means a lot mad up and also also to kind of like you know repeat what brent's been saying make sure to leave a uh review on apple oh yeah the review really helps spread the news Or any other um, numbers up. I don't use many other podcasting apps, but if there are any other apps that you listen to us on um, that have a rating system, like Spotify doesn't. But if there's some other app that you use that does have a rating system, like if you're a Stitcher person or Google Play, they have ratings. So yeah, leave us ratings there wherever you listen to it. That it really helps us out. It helps us get into that algorithm. Yes. Um, so thank you guys. Our numbers are growing. Our numbers yes. are growing. So yeah. keep it up and keep spreading the news. Keep boggling your brains. Yes. Yeah. And uh, 
keep we'll bringing your bottles and stay cool. All right, see you guys. Stay cool. <laughs> Bye. Love you. Bye.